Hey everybody, Sam Abuel Samet here. Unfortunately, no Rebecca or Dan this time around, but I had a chance to sit down with Jim Farley, the president of New Businesses, Technology, and Strategy for Ford Motor Company, to talk about mobility, mobility services, and autonomous vehicles, and where Ford is going with all this stuff in the next several years. I hope you enjoy it. Jim, um, you've been in this position now, uh, leading essentially what is Ford's future business uh, for about six months now. Uh, what... What are your first thoughts on you know being in this role? You know, especially you know somebody like you that's a real car enthusiast. You know, you've come up in the in the auto industry. You've spent your entire career in this industry. How how, how is this different? And, and what what are your first thoughts on on being in this role? Uh, a couple. First of all, Sam, thank you for the opportunity uh, to talk about how how Ford and our industry is changing. I think my first thought is um, that the disruption is like already happening to our industry at the customer level. Uh, we're seeing very large, uh, a very large group of people going from owning a vehicle to using a vehicle for, per mile. We're seeing the micromobility business like Birdlime, ours, Spin, grow exponentially, even in the same city. Um, uh, we're seeing more and more people uh, use connectivity in their vehicle differently. The, the, the disruption of our industry in an exciting way is like in full, it's really started now. Uh, I would say similar to maybe the first or second generation Prius uh, when electrification started to come into our industry. Maybe it's like, it feels to me uh, like the first generation Prius or the Escape Hybrid when some customers started just making different choices. So, um, you know, the, the mobility space for Ford over the last several years has been kind of interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they've set up a smart mobility business unit yep. first and then later autonomous vehicles. And watching, especially the smart mobility business, you know, there's been some interesting experiments, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the Go Bikes, mm -hmm. um, Chariot, mm -hmm. um, you know, Spin uh, yep. uh, scooters, you know, obviously not all of those have succeeded. Um, what what would you say are the, the big lessons that have been learned as as the, the this business unit has gone gone along over the last several years? Well, in the last um, the last couple months I've been here, last five plus months, yeah. You know, uh, that's exactly the question I was asking. You know, what have we learned and where are we going? And I, and I guess uh, what, I, what I've learned from the team is that it's time to simplify and to focus. Um, we had so many different things spun up, which is exactly the right thing to do. But as you said, you know, some of the spaghetti stuck and some of it didn't. Plus, at the same time, the customers were changing. And I think where we've landed is a much simpler portfolio of mobility it's very different than our competitors. Many of our competitors focus on shared uh, car sharing, things like that, and in large scale. Our profile and portfolio look completely different. We are in, we're number three scooter business. Uh, our micro I don't even want to call scooter, but the micromobility business and is growing fast. And we think it's really an important business strategically. Uh, and high volume, like we are moving lots of people, more than half a million 
customers now are part of the spin ecosystem. We're in, you know, 40 plus cities now. And, you know, we have, this is a high volume customer facing mobility business. Um, As far as shared is concerned, or larger format traditional vehicles, I think Go Ride Health has been really important lesson for us. Um, Because so many of the AV service companies are focused on making money appropriately i think for ford being trying to be the most trusted company we really believe um moving people to doctor's appointments especially people who have um or disabled is a really cool niche in the market that's high need like these people there's a lot of people going to doctor appointments there's a lot of waste it's all kind of one-off uh local um providers and we've really found a niche in that and then the third other than spin and things like go ride is our city solutions we don't talk about it a lot but we are seeing a very large increase in cities as a customer um and just remember we're the you know leading commercial vehicle brand in europe and in the u.s so if you're going to move goods into a city you're probably going to be in a ford commercial vehicle so we have an enormous scale um, that other OEMs don't have for a city. They could talk to one brand uh, and really learn how how the moving goods business is coming to life in their city through through our vehicles and increasingly through our services. That um, opportunity work with cities, learn from them, but also sell them services is a, a third key part of our mobility portfolio so we've simplified focused on those three areas so going forward those, those are the main areas the micro mobility um the uh, city solutions and the non-emergency yep. health transportation are the areas you want to focus on yes mobility? and and i'd, I'd say what you're increasingly to see from ford is a um, consolidation in a way of our pre-av and av business you know i'm not going to get into the specifics of what our AV brand and service is going to look like, the portfolio. But just imagine for Ford, we really see those as one entity. That's portfolio. Um, so, looking at um, you know the you know let's look at City Solutions a little bit. Uh, it was interesting. A couple of weeks ago, uh, it was an event in Ann Arbor to show off uh, to demonstrate the. Um, City Insights platform, which mm-hmm. I think is an interesting area for an automaker to get yep. into. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about what you know what Ford is trying to do, you know, because if you look back over the last decade, you know, with the rise of companies like Uber and Lyft and, and other um, modern mobility services, you know, they've, there's been a lot of conflict between them and cities, and Ford okay. is trying to do this in a very different way. Definitely. So. And again, it goes back to kind of our well. It goes back to our idea of trust. So, uh, what we found when we started talking to City about those uh, mobility solutions is that, you know, we, it's Ford. We're a 116 year old company. We've been doing business all over. We have very large employment, and um, so people trust the company. And um, what we're seeing now in Western Europe and the U.S. especially is that the congestion has gotten, you know, below 10 miles an hour in most major cities. Um, It's actually slower than a horse now. Um, 
And so we've like, we're a hundred years, Ford kind of got people off the horse and now we're back to that speed. And as the number one commercial vehicle brand, moving goods into, you can't, if you're a tradesman with a Ford van in London or in Pittsburgh, you can't bring your tools uh, in through public transportation, mass transport. Um, and we've learned this with Oslo, my car side. Now London, uh, we just saw Market Street close in San Francisco. You see 14th Street close in, in New York. As these things close, they're still... Um, people need to move goods in the center of the city, even if you close. Uh, so this congestion thing is a big deal. And we really believe that the cities are going to start to monetize access curbside um, and start to put up dedicated uh, infrastructure for um, bikes and micromobility like you're seeing in market, in the market street uh, change. And what that does is they need to instrument the vehicles they need to instrument the trips because then uh, what you saw is once you instrument you get that data you can create um, a much more effective transportation operating system where you manage congestion uh, you know emissions access in a very logical way and we see that coming all together in a system and what you saw is a simulation of that system. It will happen in different cities at different times. Maybe the maybe the access gets you know done first, like you see in London, and then eventually it'll make its way into the curb. And curb will be a space, a slot, just like in a manufacturing space where it gets rented out, just like parking. Um, and so our city solutions group is investing heavily in dispatch and routing. Uh, as well as some other areas that we think are critical um, for the cities because they will build out this new capability. And so um, do you see this as an important part of Ford's business going forward? And you know, particularly for, you know, for things like the, the, the City Insights, um, you know, for cities to, to get the most benefit out of it, you, know, you want to have as many of the users within the city participating in that, feeding into that. And so sure. would you open that up to, for example, other automakers or other service providers to, to participate in that? I, th- I think generally, you know, Ford is kind of a open platform type company. We, we definitely looking at it that way, have, have always looked at it that way because cities, the customer will need to do it that way. It's going to have to be open, multi-make for, you know, city of London. I guess if, if you look at Ford's business, we're a very different car company, vehicle company, uh, and our aspiration mobility, our profile of, of the portfolio is really different than other companies. That's probably the main thing I would say. Um, but so much of our business happens in the city. I remember walking around San Francisco last year with one of my colleagues, and they said, well, we don't sell any vehicles in San Francisco. And I said, okay, we're going to stand at this corner, and we're going to count over the next 10, 10 minutes how many Ford vehicles. And they're like, there's a BMW, there's a Mercedes, because it's San Francisco, right? And they're like, there's no Fords. I said, nope. So far, I count about 10 to 15% market share. Because he never counted the Super Duties, 
the F-Series, the Transit Vans, the Transit Connects. They were, those white vans, they didn't even exist in a way. The, you know, we don't talk about that. So much of our commercial business happens in a city. Um, and so where Amazon using a transit or any other kind of delivery company or small tradesmen, electricians, plumbers, construction workers who have a small fleet of Ford vehicles, how they land in the city is really important for the city and for those businesses. And that's our traditional vehicle business. Then when you look at city solutions in our AV business, it all comes together in the city. Not all of our business, a lot of our you know, commercial vehicles are sold in rural America, for example, but in Western Europe and cities, more and more of our transit, especially our van business, is happening in the city. And um, so we, uh, when you think of Ford, don't think of like the vehicle business is over here and the mobility business is separate. It's not how we're looking at it. For us, because of our unique commercial vehicle portfolio, it's like one thing. And having a great relationship with the city as they transform access, curbside, monetizing, dedicated lanes for it's very important for us as a spin brand, uh, for our commercial vehicle brand, um, for our AV future business. We need to work together with the cities. And that's exactly what makes spin different. Uh, I think if you were to ask, you know, city uh, leaders, how does the spin um, business feel differently than a bird or a lime? I think they'll say, well, spin always comes here and doesn't, doesn't ask to, uh, for a license. They say, how can we work together to make sure that we're reducing congestion for the city? The license is a separate thing. Mm-hmm. So um, shifting to micromobility a little for a bit, um, you know, beyond scooters that you have today, you know, what, where do you see that part of the business going over the next five to ten years? Well, I think I think uh, micromobility is really fascinating business for me as a as a kind of car guy, because um, basically there's huge demand for customers, and the companies used off the shelf product that was never the form factor was never really ground up defined for the customer. It's almost like, for me, as a car history buff, it, it reminds me of 1904-05, when the form factors were kind of pretty limited, and they were, in a way, kind of just, the customers didn't have any choice. In this case, it's different because they're really affordable. Um, so what I, what I think what our team feels is that there's going to be lots of form factor evolution. Will there be a, an F-150 <laughs> Uh, micro but sure. Uh, will we see more form factor evolution? For example, I was in San Francisco recently, and again, as a car guy, I'm looking through my lens. I'm at a stoplight, and I see a privately owned scooter operator and a shared one. The form factors are going exactly the opposite direction. The private customer, who now has got excited about moving in the city because of the shared product, but now they're saying, you know what? bike kind of too slow i want my own scooter they want foldable super lightweight with a really low um, profile helmet but the shareable is the opposite direction Uh, because of the business unit economics and the uh, volume you want there to 
be very robust, very secure, very, in many cases, heavy because you want the battery to last a long time. Um, so you're starting to see already customers push the form factor between private and shared and different. Now think about, you know, multiple riders, uh, weather and inclement weather, all that's going to come. Um, I, so I, we definitely see form Creating the super duty of scooters. It could be. I, mean, I can't imagine that not happening. Just like uh, the cars in 05, 06 look completely different than the 20s. The 20s, you had pickup trucks. You had, you know, convertibles, four-door, two-door, covered vehicles. All that happened. Um, but it's not just that. Also, um, people are starting to get more interested in micromobility. Uh, sorry, um, multi-mode. Because the choices are too complex. You know, so I'm a busy person. There's three different micromobility choices. They're all in different locations. Then I got, you know, um, different uh, TNCs to take me in a car. Then I have different shared options. Uh, and mass transportation make it simple for me. I just want to get from here to here. Tell me what choices I have and make it simple for me. That, uh, that's definitely starting to happen, too. Is that something that you see ultimately being uh, – do, do you see uh, the Ford Smart Mobility getting into building it some sort of aggregator app and, and platform that ties these various services together? Like there are some out there, you know, free to move, and there's others. Yeah, City Map. There's a lot, a lot of great – I think for Ford, we're um, – uh, right now, we're really focused on the customer-facing experiences. Um that are physical mobility, like moving people, moving goods. And I would say one of the big differences you may find with Ford is our ambition of moving goods is just as high as moving people. Um, our, our, the industry uh, seems to focus a lot on moving people, appropriately so. But I think Ford, coming from our commercial background, you know, moving goods in, from micromobility all the way to AVs is equally interesting to us because of our background and serving our customers. The strength of Ford commercial vehicles is in small, medium-sized business. Yes, we have big fleets like, um, like U-Haul and, and you, know, you can imagine all the big fleets we have, but where we're really different in the commercial space and the vehicle business is small, medium-sized business. And they also need different solutions. And that's, you know, uh, I'll come back to that in a minute when we get into um, autonomous uh, and what, what's being done there, especially the small, medium business, I think is a very interesting approach that Ford's been taking with the work they've done in Miami. One last note on, on micromobility. Uh, today, you don't manufacture any of those vehicles that are uh, being used for micromobility services. Is that something you see Ford at some point getting into and manu- actually manufacturing Micromobility. I think if we can add value to the process, sure. Uh, but right now, we're really focused on the customer-facing decisions, which is the form factor evolution, to both for the unit economics plus the customer. You know what's really cool about that business is when you think through designing a form factor to get people around. You also have to think about it delivering a business. So removable, swappable batteries, and all those kind of things. Uh, maybe they're good for customers. You put your battery in your backpack, and you know you, you and you always are charged. You don't have to worry about it. But on the other hand, 
um, we have to think about the form factor through both lenses because we're, you know, spin is a number three volume player now, and we want to think through both the unit economics, but especially the customer, and the form factor has to deliver both, an improvement in both. But I, I, I think at this point in time, we're really focused on the customer getting that form factor right. Um, I think we have a lot of expertise and a lot of curiosity around that, um, and uh, and how how the micromobility play by Ford plays into our AV play. That's a very important judgment right now. Manufacturing um, right now is not the highest priority, but if we had if we could really add a lot of value, um, both for Ford learning new uh, techniques but also for the customer and for the business, you know, absolutely. Okay. We'd be well, open to that. Well, let's, let's shift the discussion over to autonomous now. Um, and, you know, how, what's, what's your thoughts on where Ford is with its automated driving program today and, and you know, the progress that's been made and, and you know, the, <clears throat> the timeline that was set out back in 2016 with the 2021 launch? So, we're still completely committed to having a commercial service available in 2021. We never we never talked about the scalability of that. And as you know, we've been very cons- conservative relative to other promises you can get on you know when when we actually um, uh, develop the scale. Um, and so, I don't, I don't have a lot of new news uh, for you except for a couple things. First of all, we're going to spend more than the four billion uh, that we committed to. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of the most important is that we're committed to, to having a customer-facing business, and that costs marketing dollars and a lot of software development. Um, uh, the other thing is that, um, you know, the time frame is about right, but when we get to that scaling of the business, um, especially now that we're committed to having a consumer-facing business and goods movement and people, um, you know, we're not putting pressure on the team to, uh, we want to go as fast as we can. But, for example, the commercialization of the sensors, um, you know, that's a new industry. The supply base for LIDARs and the compute uh, for the algorithms, that's, those are new um, parts. They're new technologies. They've never been commercialized in automotive, like, applications um, to last hundreds of thousands of miles uh, like we're used to, it's difficult this time to handicap when all that's going to get ready. But we're working really hard on it, and our ambition is super high. But we just don't think it's right for Ford to um, publish lots of dates to get everyone excited before we really know how everything's going to be commercialized. But we are really committed to coming in 2021 with a commercial service. I think what makes, um, so the progress, we're making really good progress on the tech. Um, Argo, not only, uh, and it's really exciting, we have VW as a partner with Argo and Ford, uh, but Brian and the team are making incredible progress on, you know, the algorithms, the natural driving of the vehicle, um, and uh, I think we're super excited about uh, the progress that Argo has made. Uh, We're also really excited about the development of our vehicle. This is a ground-up AV uh, using all of our commercial experience, um, and we feel really good about how that vehicle is coming together, and most importantly, the integration of the driving system and the vehicle. 
So I would say um, really I think we're, we're right on plan with the tech piece, both the driving and the vehicle and, and especially the, you know, the integration of both. I think the, um, the work we're really excited to do now or in the midst of spinning up is based on the learnings in Miami especially. We have a much better feel for the type of customers and sub-segments we want to serve with our customer-facing business. Because we learned a lot in Miami. We learned about, uh, like with food delivery, are people willing to come down seven floors to get a pizza out of a self-driving car or not? And, you know, I don't want to get, go into all the learnings because, you know, this is, we're building a business here and we want to make sure we're thoughtful what we say when. Um, but the diversity of our experiments in Miami in terms of the customer-facing business, not necessarily the tech, has been very helpful, actually fundamental in scoping what we want that customer-facing business to look and feel like. And um, also the tech, you know, has limitations, weather, speed, and we have to factor that into how we scope those customer-facing businesses. Um, so I guess what I would say is great progress on the um, tech, but we still have a long way to go. Um, and a key piece of the tech is a commercialization of these kind of first-time um, technical, you know, parts and systems, along with the self-driving system. We definitely need a more, we need a regulatory environment beyond a waiver for a couple thousand vehicles. So that's a really big initiative for all of us going into this business. And then uh, I would say we're in the early but important uh, thinking, design thinking, on what the who we're going after in terms of our customer-facing business and how do we differentiate versus a driven experience. It seems like the industry, and I guess maybe new to it, new to the AV, I mean, I'm not totally new. I was working on this several years ago, but was so focused on robo-taxi kind of generic movement of people. Um, the way we're thinking about it is much more precise on the differentiation for uh, subsets of those customers where we think we can add a lot of value beyond pulling the driver. So pulling the driver is really fascinating as a human. You can see what's happening with summons mode and Tesla and all the videos going around. Everyone's, you know, as humans, really, the car, there's no one in it. It's driving itself. That's very fascinating. But really from a customer standpoint, if you're developing a service, and you pull the driver, what's better? That's what we're working on, and that's where we need to make more progress. So... Um you know, with the development of a purpose-built vehicle, and you've got these two really seems like kind of distinct areas that you're trying to attack, both you know, delivering, carrying passengers, but delivering goods. Can you can you do one vehicle that does really well at both of those? You know, or do you have to have basically two separate fleets of vehicles to handle those different tasks? Uh, I wish I could give you all the specifics about the vehicle today. Uh, but I'm not. But I, I think this is where Ford's deep knowledge uh, on goods movement and people, like, it's a big advantage for us. Um, and plus all the lessons in Miami. Because we, you know, this is the kind of lesson, learning that we've been, you know, we, but we have a lot of a good base to learn from. 
We think that um, when you look at a humans getting in and out of a self-driving vehicle and you look at the form factor for urban de- you know, goods delivery, there is a sweet spot. But the vehicle, the way it's configured, will have to be totally different. And um, that's one of the things we learned in um, Miami. We tried to do both in the same vehicle. And we learned that for a lot of applications, um, if you want to be highly utilized, um, you know, having the same configuration on the interior isn't optimal. Um, And I'm glad that we tried. Um, But it's pretty clear to us that these are really different um, operations. So it sounds like what you're saying is that uh, there will either be two different variations of the vehicle or you've developed something that allows you to quickly shift. Uh, you know, is, is one of those correct? And can you elaborate a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could, but I think you're in the right zone. Okay. <laughs> I think you're in the right because zone. Because I'm, 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 yep. guessing, I'm guessing your preference would be the latter, you know, that you, you want something that you can quickly reconfigure um, because you, you don't necessarily not, want to have not, two distinct. Not necessarily. Um, you know, and again, it comes back to this better. What is that consumer facing? What is that business going to look like? But if there's enough volume, enough trips, um, I think you can make the argument for both okay. uh, from a business standpoint. The, the other thing that's quite interesting uh, to discuss is the upgradability of the vehicle. Not just the physical, but the, uh, I think that's something that our industry, and again, I'm kind of bringing my car, my, my 30 years in the car business to that comment is that um, we're getting to a point now where we have to really ask ourselves, especially in autonomous mode, how upgradable a vehicle should be if you make it for a 10-year cycle or a five-year cycle. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, the plastic and the, or the steel fenders and what it looks like. I'm talking about the real functionality um, in terms of display technology, um, communications, um, you know, those, those basic things. You, could, you know, you, could, you can kind of feel that the, for moving people or even goods – those businesses kind of move on a consumer electronics pace, not a vehicle development pace. And if that is the case, then moving to autonomy will really beg the obvious question. How do you change the vehicle to keep up with consumer electronics? So it sounds like you need um, kind of a fundamentally different architecture than we've traditionally done for vehicles, <clears throat> you know, the, we've had for 130 years, you know, we've designed vehicle, you know, manufacturers have designed, built, and sold vehicles, and then forget about it and move on to the next generation. Yeah. And now you're talking about something fundamentally I, I think, different. I think what we're, what we learned in Miami and wh- how we've looked at this, you know, exciting future is that at the beginning we, we said, well, the vehicle inside needs to be changed a lot because if you're using 90% of the time, uh, for goods delivery or people, even in a separate case like your, your, your second scenario, you know, the vehicle's going to get worn out. And we saw this with our Crown Victoria business, our police business. You know, we have lots of experience watching operators completely retrofit the vehicle, even though it's only a year old or two years old. But then we started thinking, wait a minute, is that enough? 
you know, if the customer's inside or even the goods need to be instrumented where they are, when they're going to get to where they're going to be, um, that the technology to sense, to, uh, to communicate, uh, to display, all is going to change a consumer electronics. Then maybe it can't be just like the inside. We need to also do a digital version, <laughs> a one and a zero upgrade it. So anyways, I don't want to get into the details because it's, you know, it's very important um, for the company. Uh, but these are the kind of lessons we've learned uh, in Miami by having very diverse use cases, um, lots of different problems to solve. And that's, that's one of the interesting things about the approach that Ford has taken um, you know, with this project since 2016 is you know, not, not just focusing on that the ride hailing business, but you know, looking at looking at these other use cases and working with different kinds of companies. I mean, you started off with Domino's, and, yep. and then you know, doing work with Postmates, Postmates yep. and florists, yep. and, and dog groomers, and, yep. lot, and dry cleaners. You know, so, um, do you, you know, from working with these various you know small and medium sized businesses, do they seem like they're you know that they really want to adopt this sort of model? For, for transportation? Uh, customers are really smart. So they will adopt if it works better for them. And that is in two ways. Is it lower cost or is it a better experience? And I think, well, I know that when I read about the development of the industry, you know, um, as a car person, it seemed like the low cost pulling the driver was the focus. And I guess... You know, what we're saying is that the better experience is equally important. And um, so the customers, they're like, if you give me a better experience and it's cheaper than what I do today, you know, or I don't even have to own the asset like LaFloris does a van today. That's great. I'm, I'm very open to it. I think the uh, fascination with AV is, you know, I think if you're running a business or you're a person, uh, that that will only last a certain while, then we'll get used to it. One of the uh, the arguments, you know, for uh, for doing going to AV, one of the many arguments for going to AV has been to enable mobility for people yep. who can't drive, yep. whether they're elderly, disabled, yep. young. Um, one of the challenges, though, with using AVs for those is those users often may require some assistance. Yep. Um, you know how how do you reconcile those two different things, you know, if you've got a vehicle that can, you know, autonomously go and pick somebody up, but then they need assistance to get in the vehicle or to, you know, uh, you know, if they're in a wheelchair and they're taking a trip, they need to load their, their suitcase in the vehicle. How do you reconcile those, those pieces? Have you figured that out yet? I guess. <laughs> uh, so this is a really, actually, this is a really important question. Uh, this is a really important topic. Um, someone driving a vehicle isn't so good at helping the people in the back. Um, same, go same goes for good movement. You can't imagine how much we've learned being a commercial vehicle leader, how important it is that doors get open and unlocked in a quick sequence because when you do time and motion studies for an e-commerce driver delivery, you know, a lot of, they literally do the same thing a hundred times. <laughs> they unlock they open this they go over there they lock this they open lock that 
uh, and over and over and over again. So from our commercial vehicle business, we see these habits and how important it is um, that the vehicle be digital and um, be efficient. So to answer your question, you know, um, Ford is, you know, has lots of, of lessons learned on um, customers' habits and um, we're definitely um, thinking about it in the way you suggest. Okay. Um, yeah, because, you know, with you talked about Go Ride earlier, you know, that being an important part of the mobility business. And obviously, it, it would seem like at some point you want to roll that into the AV. Well, I, I guess maybe, or maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe you want to keep that separate. I don't know. Uh, well, I, I think there's probably a, a, a uh, because those customers don't will not only be in the urban environment. You know, there's there's other use cases where you're on the highway and other reasons why you would want to drive her. But I guess my point is that I can, even as an old-school car person, I can clearly see a need for a human in a vehicle that isn't driving to help people. Okay. I also can easily see an electronic version of a person to help. Um. You see this clearly already in, in China with a kind of robotic uh, digital assistant. It's like a thing. It's like a uh, person, and it's animated. And, you know, we can easily see. Um, I, I would love lo- my son, you know, we're a busy family. If my son wants to go to, a, you know, his soccer practice and my, my wife is working, um you know, we want remote access to him in the car, maybe beyond a phone, or we maybe want something in the car, making sure everything's good. Not just a camera, but something else. Uh, so I think to your point, well, I know for uh, what we found in Miami is that if you really watch people, there's, there's certainly use cases where a human can add a lot of value. Think about an older person like my dad, um, who who needs a dialysis appointment, and it's really complicated for them to schedule their next one or what their medication would be. You can easily see someone right there saying, "Hi, Mr. Mrs. Farley. You know, here's where you're going today. Uh, your appointments can take 45 minutes. This is what's going to happen? Um, how are your medication? While you're there, do you want me to pick up your medication uh, so that on the trip back we're all set?" Um, uh, what, what do you think is next? I've talked to your doctor and the appointment. We're going to need to do a couple of other tests next week. Get, you know, that's, that's like a natural assistant. You could easily see for, for people who are, luck, are lucky enough to be in that situation. Okay. Um, to, as we re- we've got a few minutes left, um, going back to you talked about um, increasing the, the investment in all of this going forward. Um, you know, previously we've announced four billion of investment. How how high do you see that investment going, and and what what do you need to invest in? You know, is it an investment in the technology, investment in the backend platforms? Or? So, um, a couple things. First of all, uh, for us, um, you know, we don't see a you know a dr- dramatically different level of spending, but it is it's trending higher, and the reason is because of the consumer-facing business. Uh, we, we, we see groups of customers that could really benefit from AV, some of which we talked about today. 
uh, and that's we have to write software to do the to create those businesses, and you have to actually create a consumer brand that takes mar- marketing dollars. Um, when we started the journey, it was more about spending on the tech and the vehicle, um, but also, um, you know, we were going to partner with people who would pull the demand. I think we're increasingly interested in in us doing that as well. Um, the vehicle itself and the sensors, the compute, all of that is, um, you know, not cheap. And we're at the very early stages of this, you know, we are at the earliest stage of this technology. And so we've learned a lot about uh, the sensor, you know, and and the sensors, the compute, all of that is, in many cases, more expensive than the vehicle itself. and, and so um, the cost trend line for those devices, those systems, those components, the software that operates them is, is, is uh, expensive. So do you see um, Ford being the, you know, or some Ford business unit being the primary operator of these, uh, of these services and fleets going forward as opposed to um, making them available to other fleets to, to operate on Lyft or Uber or, or that DD? That is a or... really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should get into that another time. Okay. Maybe we're a little down the road. That's like a big bet by the company. It's a competitive, uh, but yet we certainly have an ambition to be a customer-facing uh, brand. Okay. Moving people and goods. Do you see that the Ford brand being that brand or perhaps some other brand? Uh, I think we we need to give that uh, question a little more time, but uh, we certainly made up our mind. Okay. All right. Well, Jim Farley, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Sam. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.